last full moon of that spring came a little more than a month before school let out for summer vacation. Our town's long nightmare began that night. Welcome to Now Playing's review of Silver Bullet. The face of the beast always becomes known, and the time of the beast always passes. Part of the Now Playing Stephen King movie series. Marty had read all the legends about werewolves, and though they differed on several minor points, they all agreed on one. It takes silver to kill a werewolf. Hosted by Arnie. Jesus, Arnie. You the boogeyman? Stuart. I'm a little too old to be playing the Hardy Boys meet Reverend Werewolf. And Jacob. When they catch him, you're gonna find out he's just as human as you and me. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for a new installment of this series. And keep coming back as we continue looking at all the movies based on the writings of Stephen King. That is the craziest goddamn story I have ever heard in my life. And join Arnie at BooksAndNachos.com for in-depth reviews of all of Stephen King's books and short stories. This is for the good guys. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Bobby, you're going to make lemonade in your pants? All right, scared. Let's go. Listener discretion is advised. You heard him? Let's go! Today we're discussing Silver Bullet, starring Gary Busey, Everett McGill, Corey Haim, directed by Dan Ateus. This is the now playing co-host who feels like a virgin on prom night, Arnie. Stuart in LA. And this is just another damn podcast host who always ends up on welfare, Jacob. Gonna have to electrocute you, Jacob. I want to just let you know that. Well, that's what you do with welfare recipients. You electrocute them all. <laughs> Welcome back to Stephen King, which uh, we were planning to do in February, but we thought we would be going to the movie theaters. The Dark Tower was supposed to be coming out, but I guess it's so good they moved it to this summer. So instead, we decided to, well, why not do the next one on the list? Cycle of the Werewolf. I don't feel like this is one of King's most beloved books. This is one I never read until prepping for this review. Part of it was it was a little bit harder to come by. It was never published by a mainstream press. It was published in a very limited hardcover edition to a small press. King, even way back then, spreading his wealth literally around to smaller publishers and then when it became popular and his fans were demanding it, it got a trade paperback release. This is also what happened with The Gunslinger. This isn't a Bachman thing or something that got published in Serial and Playboy. Because I saw King did the screenplay for this, but this was an actual book he wrote. Yeah, it was an illustrated book that was intended to be actually a Stephen King calendar. And he was working with... Bernie Wrightston, who is a comic book artist who's done quite a bit of stuff. I mean, Swamp Thing and stuff for DC, stuff for Image, stuff for Marvel. And they had him drawing 12 werewolf stories. And King was going to write a vignette for each month that would explain the story. I hope they put the cycles of the moon on that calendar. Well, uh, it's interesting. I'll, I can tell <laughs> a little bit about that. But 
the way it is written, it is a short story. The book with a lot of illustrations comes in around 130 pages only. And each chapter is a month. And most of the months are only like four or five pages where it's this full moon this month. Here's what happened every time. And it turned out if you can believe this and I understand what I'm saying, some listeners just may call me a liar. But Stephen King couldn't write something short. I fully believe that. <laughs> yeah, I'd be a little bit facetious, but he could not fit into a calendar format, just a couple paragraphs to tell the story. So it did become a 130-page book. Short book, but long calendar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at the very end, King does say, for any moon watchers he played with the cycle because he wanted his july month to take place on july 4th and he wanted his december month to take place on december 31st so sometimes there's a full moon just a couple weeks apart other times they're like eight weeks apart but it's an okay read i did read it back in the day i i remembered it wrong in my head i thought it was like creep show i thought it was a graphic novel but in fact it's just there is a picture accompanying each little chapter, but it is not a comic book. No, but it felt like when I was a teenager, it felt like middleware. Like for the kids who want to get into Stephen King, this book wasn't all that graphic. And we've talked many times about how King probably appealed to the young teen audience the most. And here to have some pictures, maybe you're getting into just the tween audience there and getting them warmed up to then go pick up Dead Zone or Shining or Carrie. Yeah. It was at my library, so I read it. And I think it was the trade paperback version, not the limited edition hardcover. So it would have been right around the time this movie came out in 1985, October. And I did eventually rent this movie, Silver Bullet. I can see why they changed the name, because Cycle of the Werewolf was, yeah, spread out over a calendar year. They've definitely condensed the timeline and... I don't even think the werewolf attacks on full moons. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to have questions about that when we get into it. Yeah, not entirely full moon based here. King did write the screenplay, and he said that this gave him a chance to do what should have been done with the story originally. I was shocked reading this book. I kind of felt like I knew what it was, especially since this movie, we're going to talk about it, has voiceover narration and everything. I thought I knew what this book was going to be. But surprisingly, there's really no main character to the book. Each month focuses on a new person, pretty much, and introduces some other people who may come up later. Marty, our Corey Haim character here, doesn't show up until July, and then he comes back for the climax as he is part of the reason the werewolf gets taken out. It is similar to what happens here, but this movie is about Marty, about his sister, about a family, and that feels very king to me, whereas the short story was far more epistolary. Yeah, I remember I, I did reread it for this this time, and my impression remains the same as when I read it in my King fandom of the 80s. It was fine. It was middle of the road. It did what it had to. It didn't overstay its welcome by being short and easy to read. It You didn't mind the fact that it didn't have a whole lot of aftertaste. Werewolves have never been a big thing for me, though. And I gotta say, I was thinking, is this a now playing first? Have we ever covered a werewolf movie before? We've done all kinds of horror, but I don't think that we've 
ever, you know, there was a werewolf in Fright Night 2, but I don't think we've really covered a werewolf series. Yeah, sadly, we haven't gone to, gotten to Twilight yet, Oh, has a lot of werewolves, but yeah, no, I don't think we have, and I don't even know, like, the werewolf genre, I guess, if we could call it that. I think of American Werewolf in London, and that's it. And maybe Thriller. That's pretty good. It was this time that was, like, it was the time to make werewolf movies, when we got the prosthetics right... And American Werewolf in London, you know, won that Oscar in 1981. It was the kickoff. We had Howling, Michael Jackson Thriller. Howling was the same year, surprisingly. Yeah. There was something in the zeitgeist of, you know, 70s economics, election of Reagan. People were going to the wolf again. You think it had to do with Reagan? I think it had to do with prosthetics. I honestly think they just figured out how to do movie makeup. I forgot there's also Teen Wolf, one of the best. Well, three of my favorites came out in one year. We got American Werewolf in London, Howling, and Wolfen, that forgotten gem. Oh, yeah, Wolfen, yeah. I remember liking that one. All in 81. Wolfen? Is that like breaking? If only. No, it's uh, Albert Finney connecting a pack of homeless people to a tribe of Native American wolves. It's got Edward James Olmos in it, and... uh... Gregory Hines, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So I remember that one freaking me out because it gives you werewolf vision. and The vision, yes. The the infrared. It was really, uh, that was the calling card of that movie. I forgot about that one. Maybe I did like that werewolf movie. But in general, I had to go back. I had to educate myself. I had never seen American Werewolf in London or Howling. And so I watched them in preparation for this. Of course, I've seen Michael Jackson's Thriller, which, you know, came out of American... It was basically Michael saying, let me be the American werewolf in, you know, a graveyard instead of London. By 1985, when this movie is coming out, though, we're at the tail end of it, right? Teen Wolf, Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. Hey, Howling movies would continue almost annually (laughs) till 1990, so I... Yeah, but this one has Red Brown. Oh, that's not good. (laughs) And Stephen King actually asked Dino when they were planning on making this in 83, 84, does the world need another werewolf movie? Dino said yes, but King wasn't so sure. And this was his first attempt at a werewolf story. He'd done vampires with Salem's Lot, but this was his short story about the wolf. And he did write this screenplay. It was one of several he wrote for Dino. And to look at this in terms of King films versus just werewolf films, this was coming out after Cat's Eye, which wasn't a great hit, after Firestarter, after Children of the Corn. So we were kind of starting those mid-80s doldrums where the high days of the Dead Zone, Cujo, and the first Creep Show were behind him. I'm not sure if Cujo was a high point, but I get your point. Yes, the reputation was slipping. No A-list directors were picking up the material at this point. And I think Dino had something to do with that. His close ties to Stephen King probably meant that a lot of A-list directors didn't want to work with him in that way because Dino has his own way of working on a project and maybe they just didn't want to go to Virginia. But I do think it's funny. We covered Blue Velvet last week. This movie was shot about six months prior in the same location. (laughs) Yeah, both Laurentiis productions. Now, I mentioned Daniel Ateus in the opening and said that he was the director but also what's interesting to me is he was not the original director is it someone a-list it was don cuscarelli the phantasm guy you know he did 
all the Phantasm movies, Bubba Hotep. I've only seen the first two Phantasms. We do get requests to cover that series. I'm not opposed. I it, It's a goofy movie, but I did enjoy Phantasm. And I wouldn't call him A-list, but he has some personality. I could see him having horror movie director cred. Hey, he made the movie that kept me company throughout most of college, The Beastmaster. Oh, I hated that movie as a kid. <laughs> that Mark Singer? Yeah. That With one the ferrets? Yes. He made that? Yes. I retract everything nice I just said. <laughs> <laughs> he was brought in, and I think being a vetted horror director, not a bad choice. The problem was... Dino was at odds with much of this production. He was very hands-on, some might even say meddling. And King, being a writer, specifically asked the makeup designers and the director to make the werewolf nondescript. Don't really see him. Just have him be a shape. And Dino came down and was like, I hate this design. We're not going with this design. We need a wolf that can compete with the other wolves. And Coscarelli just decided, all right, I'm going to start filming because we're way behind schedule. So he started filming like the dramatic scenes where they had no idea what this wolf would look like. <laughs> and when the fight with the wolf never got resolved, he just quit. Wow. Now, is that original footage here or is the director that came in, did he reshoot and redo the movie? I believe that footage is here. Okay. Because there is a tonal difference, and I attribute it to it being a first-time director. There are things that feel very much like a after-school special made for kids, and then there are things that do feel like a slasher movie with... Yeah, a monster fight. I never felt like it was uh, comparative to American Werewolf or Howling. I'll give the movie that much of a compliment, I guess. It finds its own way, but I wouldn't say that what we're going to get here is completely consistent. And part, you're saying part of that is because we had two different director visions. Yes, the guy who came in, Daniel Ateas, he directed some episodes of Miami Vice. Um, he's done a lot of television sledgehammer one of my 80s favorites but this is his <laughs> only motion picture hmm. and there was a couple of scenes i noticed in this movie that were actually like out of focus and i didn't know if it was just gary Busey moving where he wanted and the focus puller being frustrated or maybe dino was seeing that footage it was like cascarelli if you cannot even get it in focus you're fired but i'm not gonna really hmm. film it it's too expensive <laughs> Yeah, this was at the height when, when Dino was working with King and, yeah, Cat's Eye and they would work on Maximum Overdrive next. Yeah, I guess this is really the man that ruined his reputation in cinema, <laughs> I guess, before all those Night Shift and Children of the Corn sequels. Hey, but, he didn't help himself. One year after this comes Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I'll say this much. This movie is better than that. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot? We can uh, get into Silver Bullet. In the spring of 1976, a werewolf has come to Tarker's Mill, Maine. This story follows the town as the wolf kills month after month, and the town reacting to the deaths with curfews, fear, and a lynch mob. But our main characters are the Kozlaw family. Specifically, 11-year-old wheelchair-bound Marty, played by Corey Haim, fighting werewolves before he'd fight vampires and his older, resentful sister Jane, played by Megan Follows. As the wolf attacks increase, Marty is personally impacted. First, his girlfriend's father is killed, which sends the girl away. 
Then Marty's best friend is killed as well. But he was a jerk. We're okay with it. <laughs> yeah, slasher motif. Everyone who dies deserves it. Except for Arnie. Mm, debatable. Chronic drunk. Marty himself is attacked in September of that year when he sneaks out of his house to light some fireworks given to him by his drunk uncle Red, played by Gary Busey. The wolf goes after Marty, but the youth shoots a fireworks rocket into the wolf's eye and flees on his gas-powered motorcycle wheelchair that his <laughs> uncle named the Silver Bullet. Marty and his sister then start to snoop and find out who the werewolf is. Jane goes through the town looking for someone missing an eye, and the culprit is Reverend Lowe, played by Twin Peaks' Everett McGill. Lowe, in human form, tries to kill Marty to keep his identity a secret. But when the youth successfully calls for help, Lowe waits until the next full moon so he can be in full wolf form to kill the child. But Marty and Jane have convinced their Uncle Red for help. He believes the kids enough to have a gunsmith forge them a single silver bullet, and they stay up on the next full moon waiting for the wolf to attack, which he does. The gun goes flying, but Marty gets it and fires his one shot right into the wolf's other eye, killing him. And he and his sister say they love each other, something they'd never been able to say before due to their rivalry, as credits roll. You'll shoot your eye out! <laughs> that should have been happening in December, right? Christmas story? Like you said, this was a full year in the short story. It's been truncated to be basically a nondescript spring month and ending in fall. So we're cutting the timeline about in half. Yeah, I was so confused because we're going to get this awful narration by Jane throughout the film. But I thought this was just like the longest full moon cycle ever until I, I finally figured out what the timeline is. Because they make this big deal. It was, you know, the last full moon of spring before summer vacation, which is just awkward wording in itself. You're too many seasons in that <laughs> sentence is. And it makes a big deal about it being spring 1976. I'm like, okay, this is going to take place over a weekend of a full moon. And then all of a sudden, hey, it's 4th of July in September. I'm like, whoa. What? Like, <laughs> I finally figured out the timeline by the end. But because they have this gobbledygook narration, like I'm supposed to care about Jane and Marty's relationship. Yeah, it gets confusing at the beginning if you're actually trying to track what's going on. I've seen this movie so many times. And it's only when I started taking detailed notes that I found out the fireworks weren't on the 4th of July. <laughs> I know. It is confusing. And yeah, in a book, you know, you can sustain over a year because, you know, we're flipping pages. But I can understand why, to make a movie, you would want to condense the timeline. It's not suspenseful if we have to wait another month for the next attack. Anyone can move. You can you can get away. There's no sense of danger. I wonder why not everyone in this town has moved in this movie because they know there's attacks going on every month and they yet they stay. Yeah. Well, yes. We'll see the the town's reaction to that and it's a little bit varied. It's a little bit Salem's Lot. It is a a small town, Tucker's Mills. Kind of sounds like a cereal company, but it is a small <laughs> town in, I guess, Virginia, where, what's their industry? Trains? The first death takes place a uh, train conductor for some reason. And it's 1976. Something else I didn't realize, despite seeing this film so many times. Why is this a period piece? Why is there voiceover narration? Stand By Me hadn't come out yet, but I was getting a real vibe here. Yeah, what kind of vibe, though? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, King is writing this. I think that he is trying to tell 
a story. I mean, I really think in his mind, he really thinks that he has something to say about small town life. But unfortunately, maybe he just doesn't have enough to say about the werewolf. I, the focus is all wrong. That we care about Jane and, and Marty, it becomes increasingly weird as the movie goes along. But for the opener, what we get here is an Arnie death. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I thought that Nightbreed was the only movie where an Arnie is killed as soon as he walks on screen. But no, I'm excited. There's not only an Arnie here, but he's played by James Gammon, who I just love this actor. For, he was the coach in Major League 1 and 2. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I knew that you would tell me where, and I knew I wouldn't know it. <laughs> yeah, I recognized his voice, and I'm like, is that is that the coach from Major League? Yes, it is. And this Arnie is not so bad in terms of cinema Arnie's. <laughs> He's working a job. He works for the train line. He's He wants a beer, but he's working the job. Is he checking the rails for hobos? Is that what he's doing? Yeah. I don't think he needs too much more beer. I think that's part of the problem. I do feel like this is slasher movie logic. I do feel like, as you said, every death here is related to a sin. And so, yeah, his sin is that he is drunk on the job and... Thus, people think he died because he was he fell on the tracks and got run over and decapitated. But in fact, we know from the paw print and from the shifty camera vision from the woods, something is stalking him and attacking. And if King wanted to keep the wolf a mystery, they do a pretty bad job right away. I mean, you see the teeth, you see the paw. I felt like in this very first kill, I got a decent enough look at this rubber head. And then Arnie's rubber head goes flying through the air. The effects in this are not first rate, Sally. I can say that much. The decapitation, it doesn't look anything like the actor. The wolf, we'll get to him, but he's piss poor too. Yeah, that breaks my heart. Carlo Rimbaldi, you know who this guy is. Yeah, who is this guy? Because they make such a big deal about calling him out as the creature creator. Oh my god, he designed the aliens in Close Encounters. He built the suit for Alien. He made E.T.? He uh, designed the engineer in Dune. I mean, he's... So he's what happens here? Just no money? <laughs> maybe no money, or maybe he was drinking on the job, too. I don't know, but I'll <laughs> agree with you. This werewolf suit is not up to howling standards. No, but he was trapped between two masters. King and Ateus were saying, do one thing. Dino was writing the checks and said, do another. Did you just call Dino a master? <laughs> Maybe not in that way, but, uh, you know, he was the taskmaster. And I think the result looks more like a grizzly bear than any werewolf I've seen. <laughs> it does remind me of Grizzly, if you ever saw that Attack of the Killer Bear movie from the early 80s, I think it was. I was thinking of the early Incredible Hulk episode where Hulk fights a bear. Oh, yeah, maybe that too. Probably the same suit. But yeah, this is how they handled it in the late 70s. When the money wasn't there for the suit, you do the POV, you just see a claw or a talon slash the air. And that's all you're going to get for violence here. What surprised me is this is an R-rated movie. And what's even more surprising is the central characters are pre-adolescents. That seems like a really disconnect in marketing. Like, you don't make an R-rated movie for children. Yeah, I'm shocked. When we do see the horror, like, I guess if you just like to see flesh get torn up, you'll find something you like in this movie. But yeah, it's pretty R-rated violence. And it's going to star an 11 and a 15-year-old. I mean, Jane... 
calls Marty a cross she has to bear in her dramatic narration, and it's going to focus on their relationship. This is Monster Squad. It should be PG-13. Yeah, it definitely should. It doesn't feel like R. I mean, I know they have a couple decapitations, but everything looks so rubber. Yeah, I'm with Arnie. This could have been a PG-13 with a couple snips. Yeah, if you turn the blood slightly a different color, because MPAA hates red, something like that. But on the other hand, I kind of see where they're going. First of all, how many times have we said it? When you're underage, you still get into rated R movies. You can get there if you want to. And second of all... To bring in the adult audience, maybe Corey Haim isn't doing it. I don't know how many adults liked Lucas, but we do have our last American hero here, Buddy Holly, DC Cab, Gary Busey. (laughs) (laughs) I I do have to ask, like, I don't know if you know anything about his role in this film, but I do feel like he just improvs his way through this movie. Like, (laughs) no one had control of Gary Busey here. I'm betting he wasn't even paid money. It was probably just like (laughs) Coors and Schlitz and Pap's Blue Ribbon. He did every scene as written multiple times. Really? I I swore these lines were just... Because they're the craziest lines. Like, they do not go with the rest of the script. Well, one take each time he said, let me just... Ad lib it because I feel I am Uncle Ray. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. When they got to editing, both King and Ateus were like, Yeah, we like what he did better. Let's go with that take. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Like, it, he is like the best part of this film because you can tell he is unhinged, but they did pick <laughs> the best takes. Yeah, he's a supporting actor in this. Again, we were supposed to be focused on the drama, really, between not only Corey Haim, but the sister, who I don't even recognize this actress. I don't know who Megan Follows is. Maybe she has a great career. I didn't even care enough to look her up on IMDb. But I just felt like this was a strained attempt to create drama where none was needed. And maybe it was meant to be in parallel, that Jane has a problem with her brother in the way that their mother, Nan, has a problem with Gary Busey. And that would mean something if Nan actually ends up being a part of the drama that unfolds. But really, this is the story about two siblings that decide they hate each other until a werewolf moves in and then they work together. And that was a strong part of the novella as well. And I don't know that King does a great job of drawing those parallels, but yes, they are there both siblings, brothers, and sisters who don't get along. But here, Red is on his third divorce. And Marty, it's really ugly in the book how everybody is uncomfortable around Marty. He's 11 years old, but his parents still think of him as nothing other than a pair of broken legs. And his sister just hates the attention he gets and keeps saying, you get everything you want. It's It's actually a really ugly relationship with no resolution at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's not like he's up and walking by the end of it or her legs are broke. That might have been good. But yeah, it might have been fitting. I have some sympathy for her. I mean, I do think that you can relate to the middle child. She she strikes me as a Jan Brady, you know, like, uh, Marsha, 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 why will no one pay attention to me? How will I ever stand out in a family where the other sibling needs such extra care that can't, you know, get into the car without, yeah, this amazing wheelchair? Can you even call it a wheelchair or is it a golf cart? <laughs> Yeah, they got to pull it around with its own trailer. What I find interesting is 
Like, why is Marty handicapped? Like, I don't see how it plays in the film. He could just be a bratty younger brother to Jane, and it could play the same. And he could just ride a dirt bike around, because that's what he does in wheelchair form for most of this movie anyway. <laughs> like, I don't feel like, unless they're just trying to be really diverse, and we're going to have a, a person with a disability here. They're, they're very forward-thinking and progressive. I, like, I don't even understand why that is a part of this story. It's never explained in the book either. I think that it's a matter of making him even weaker still and making him seem like easy prey. I also wonder if there's something about the wolf always killing the lame. You know, you hear about that in packs. If you mm -hmm. have a bad leg, you're going to be a target for the wolf. You're easy prey. But I'm going to give Corey Haim some severe credit here because Every scene where he has to move his legs and get into that chair or fall on the ground, he gives a really believable performance as somebody with no feeling and no movement in his legs. I usually really look for the fakery of that shit, and for such a young child, he is amazing at this. He's much better than Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that, as long as you're not going to compliment the acting here. Although I don't actually think the problem is the acting. It's, it's, it is the corniness of the writing, that these exchanges where they have to scream about, you threw a garter snake on me, and I hate you, and I fell in a mud puddle, and then... You know, him trying to make it up to her. Even though he didn't do it. It was his friend who did it. And yet he yeah. gets all the hate. But then, like, you know, he's going to make it up to her by bringing her money in the middle of the night so she can buy a pair of legs, pantyhose. Remember those? Yeah. Pantyhose yes. that come in a little space egg? <laughs> yeah, I used to keep those for toys every time my mom bought a pair. <laughs> <Get you. laughs> the pantyhose or the I'm eggs? I'm so glad when my mom bought them. <laughs> Perfect for gremlins. <laughs> but yeah, there's all this strife. And I'll admit. When we were talking about first doing this book three or four years ago, long before we even did the Kickstarter, we were putting out which movies we wanted to do. And I'm like, Silver Bullet. Not a lot of people like that, but I remember it being good. And I put it on the list, and then I watched it to take notes for our review. And I pretty quickly pulled it from the book, and <laughs> Heyman Follows is a lot of the reason. It's, I'm not saying I'm not recommending it. I decided, though, I... Definitely couldn't defend so many choices here. And most of it is this Kozlov family that I don't see too much sympathy for. I get behind Haim because I've been a fan of his. And I think he was a very good child actor. I mentioned Lucas. Lucas actually came out the year after this, though. Yeah. But Silver Bullet, Lucas, Lost Boys. Those three... He's really, really good in. Yeah, no, I'll agree. Haim, like, I was watching the legs, too, to see if he's actually using his leg muscles, and it looks like he did a pretty good job, like, not using his legs at all, even when he's, like, moving off of something, like, just lifted up or something like that. But, yeah, he's fine. It's the material he's given. Like, he can mm -hmm. be a real sweet kid in this, but... I don't want to watch this. Like, this, this story, this family drama. Every so often, I wondered if Haim ad-libbed, though. Because in the scenes with Gary Busey, and seeing Gary Busey go a little off the reservation, every so often, Haim says something that I'm like, that doesn't seem like a line they'd write for Marty. And it usually results in almost being slapped by Uncle Red. But I think those are some of his best delivered lines. And yeah, it's a very good thing. That literally every 10 minutes for the first portion of this film, we're going to get a kill. I'm wondering if these kills are all like night after night after night. Because I, I looked this up. A full moon lasts about three days. And we're going to go on like four or five days. I don't know if months have passed in between these. But yeah, we're going to get another kill. We saw 
Jane see this lady like breaking up with her boyfriend, I guess, because she's pregnant and he doesn't want to deal with the baby. And I thought he was for sure the goner, right? Because he's like, it's your oven. It's not my bun and all that stuff. And it's or like, he's the werewolf coming to take care of the problem. I'm not sure. But <laughs> yeah, it's another moralistic death. And we're ready for something to happen. That's for sure. But it's really kind of subversive in my mind that you have a pregnant woman who's being betrayed by her lover, saying it's not his baby, he's not going to help support it. And so she decides to kill herself while pregnant, and the werewolf is going to interrupt a suicide and kill a lady and her unborn child. That's dark if it was taken seriously. Jumping a little ahead, I want to... Normally, we like to go, as the movie gives us information, reveal no more. But we're going to find out that this is... A werewolf that, in human guise, is a man of God. Is he making God judgments? Is he making his attacks based on what he's seeing in the church pews and judging these people? Well, yeah, at the beginning, I'm like, what's this werewolf doing? Is he killing for sport? Is he killing for food? Like, what's his motivation here? Yeah, we'll find out later. It's the priest. And, like, he calls out this one specifically, that she was going to commit suicide, and that is the worst sin there there is. So he saved her by murdering her. I'm like, but that M.O. doesn't work for a chronic drunk. Like, the dude could repent of that. He could go to (laughs) confession and take care of that. He didn't have to die. So, like, even when they do give motivations here, it's not great. I do appreciate having read that short story so that I could get some insight into this. And we don't find out much about Reverend Lowe in this movie. We'll never find out how he became a werewolf. We never really find out his motivation until he goes on specific hunts. We know he will hunt for specific people, the pregnant woman here and Marty later. In the book, he isn't even aware he's a werewolf, and he's kind of in denial for many of the months because he finds torn clothes and blood, and he's having werewolf nightmares. But... It's not until he wakes up and is missing an eye that he knows he's the wolf, and then he's able to control it a little bit, but he's killing because it's the moon is full, and he has a hunger, and he tries to kill people, and sometimes he can't find any, so he kills pigs or something else, and it goes into that a lot more, and I think King is taking that as almost presumed here. It's really slasher movie rules here. It's a werewolf, but I feel like it's Jason. Yeah, they say something like when the moon is full, he's stronger and more animalistic, but I guess he's always getting a little hairy every night, even on a new moon. We're seeing more of it, too. Like, we're seeing in this suicide victim attack, he bursts through the window. We we get a lot more of the suit, and the desire to pull back is understandable. This suit (laughs) is, it's no thriller. I mean, it's no even howling, too. Jesus Christ, it's almost Spencer Gifts. I paid very close attention watching this movie. I was looking at two things to see if they moved. Corey Haim's legs and this wolf's face. And I don't think (laughs) either one did. (laughs) One of those is a compliment. (laughs) I think maybe at one point the rubber in the mouth opens slightly wider. But other than some eye movements, this wolf is mannequin. I cannot believe that they thought this was acceptable post-American Werewolf. And this had a budget. I mean, it's not like they had no money. I mean, Dino can be stingy, but I believe they had somewhere around seven, eight million dollars. Yep, seven is what they said. It made eight. Mm, Okay. (laughs) 
it made like 13 counting international but yeah they had seven million dollars maybe that just wasn't enough maybe you just can't get rick baker for seven million dollars and what you get is this horrible creature fright is out the window when you're dealing with him the question is now are you going to have a good time with a slasher and with the other cast members because at this point sheriff joe holler gets involved and i don't know if you guys were as into lost as i was but i was excited to see terry o'quinn in an early role here i actually knew him from the 80s he was in a movie series called stepfather yeah yeah that was him i always thought that was anthony perkins no they have a similar vibe but yeah he he's been acting for a long time but Locke is where I think he gained real fame, and he's here as a very ineffectual sheriff trying to keep control in a town where the people are revolting as more and more people die. Yeah, I feel like I would enjoy this movie a whole lot more if he was our main character. And maybe, you know, Marty was his son or something. But I really feel, I don't know whether it's, I'm an adult now and I don't want to watch children in a horrific situation. I don't think that's it. I just think that it's more interesting to watch somebody that can do something about the situation and learn about the investigation. And I really love his deputy, the the sort of heavier set guy who's just sort of hanging out in the bar acting like the cheerleader anytime someone's speaking out he's like you shut your mouth and <laughs> you know <laughs> what else can they do they they don't have the equipment they don't have the the know-how how could they fight a werewolf they're in over their head when you get joe from reservoir dogs with a baseball bat behind the bar i think <laughs> he can take a werewolf yeah yeah i do like that and we and we got this Andy Fairden too, who is sort of the local gun shop owner. We know he's a hissable villain character. Kind of drops out of the picture after he gets the militia all worked up. But he is the one that is advocating for going out there and doing something if the law won't protect them. I agree with you in that I feel Marty's parents should be characters, and they're yes. really not. If no. anything, they're obstacles. By the same token... I like the Marty-Red relationship so much that I wouldn't want to change that and have it be Marty and his sheriff dad teaming up on this. I like the kind of illicit relationship they have. Well, have the dad get killed. Have him be one of the posse members that gets taken out, and then Red has to be brought in. You know, like, there's ways of writing that. But then it's not the two of them against the world. Then it's the two of them are a family unit now. We're back in Salem's lot. Yeah, well, that's not a bad place to be. I did like that remake anyway. We get another kill, too, that Marty had a classmate that he walked home, and her dad is a real jerk. What's weird, though, is that Tammy, Marty's girlfriend, who points out that this werewolf lives in this shack, or the noises come from this shack, like across from her house. I'm assuming, well, whoever the werewolf is lives in that shack, but no, he doesn't. It's just a empty shack, and he doesn't even attack from there. He goes to a greenhouse to get her dad. All right, I'm not going to ask too many logic questions in this movie, but I have to know, what the hell does Tammy's fat, drunk father do for a living? <laughs> what I, is with He's super him? pissed off at welfare recipients, but he looks like one. <laughs> Yes, He's, he says Marty's a cripple, he'll end up on welfare, and they should all be electrocuted. <laughs> so he's obviously... You think we're supposed to dislike him? <laughs> um, It was the 80s, I don't know. But <laughs> then 
He's drunk and watching sports on television. He's watching wrestling on television, not sports. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. And he hears a noise. He's like, somebody better not be breaking my pots. <laughs> he's, he's a gardener. <laughs> of course. This is exactly who you buy your roses from. Yeah. What's he got in that greenhouse? He doesn't go to work. He must be selling something that he grows in there. I <laughs> paid so much attention to look for marijuana leaves. All he's got is some fucking ferns. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he has a, a, a nursery that he sells plants at. I'll grant the film this. They have some creative deaths the werewolf isn't just gonna bite and slash everyone here he's gonna hide in the leaves which the plants are as lifelike as the wolf so if he <laughs> is perfectly camouflaged and then he's gonna get under the floorboards how do you get under the floorboards of a greenhouse <laughs> I, did he dig a hole is there a burrow under there <laughs> yeah that's you know that's what all that noise was he was digging holes underneath the greenhouse so that he could kill this man in this way why wouldn't he it's so logical. I don't even know if he kills the guy. Like, the father, like, falls forward and is impaled by a floorboard. So maybe that killed him. I think that is, like, the death blow. But he was also being eaten from below by a wolf. So, yeah, I don't understand the locale at all. And maybe I'm supposed to be drunk while watching this and perhaps a little stoned <laughs> and in an 80s mindset and be like, that was a cool death. But this is the one where I'm like, what the fuck? fuck does this man do for a living <laughs> yeah these are just deaths and they're they're trying to be as creative as to mix it up but if this were a werewolf movie i mean i haven't seen that many of them but wouldn't he be biting people to create new werewolves or do werewolves eat other human beings i can't really i've seen a shit ton of werewolf movies so i can okay. tell you the pattern is usually it's a weird story and it's so rote every time is it starts with a person getting attacked and bit and surviving. Right. And so they're turning into the werewolf, and the, they're the good werewolf. You're, they're trying to find out who the person was who bit them, who's the bad wolf. And the bad wolf usually kills. He's not creating an army of wolves mm, by just biting okay. ones. He's not a vampire where when he feeds, you then turn. If you're bit and survive then you become a werewolf. And I'm talking Jack Nicholson's wolf. I'm talking Ginger Snaps. I'm talking <laughs> so many wolf movies. Well, in Howling, they were like a sex commune on the beach. They were like all like, oh, you're, you seem cool. We need to include you in the club, D. Wallace. I mean... I just can't wait till we talk about the marsupials part three, but <laughs> they're all is... Australian kangaroo wolves, but... <laughs> Winning an Oscar will turn you into a werewolf. I've seen that one. That's incredible. <laughs> Worked for Nicholson, right? <laughs> so a werewolf that kills is in line with the motif. The fact that nobody here is transformed... They do go into a little bit of bullshit about how maybe certain things are only in the stories, like the full moon. Maybe he's wolfy all the time, but the stories just don't say that. And they finally just give up and say, the one thing all the stories say is silver bullets, and that's at the end. But they're going to challenge and try to modify the werewolf genre. They're, they're being edgy? They got to do something because there have been a lot of werewolf movies in the early 80s that they need to make this concept fresh i'm trying to find the line that this would be uh unique and i'm just not not grabbing onto it there's just nothing about this that this scenario that really stands out maybe if you did focus on the actual werewolf and how he got bit and, and his struggle with faith 
that you'd have something there, but we don't. We have a lot of annoying townspeople that are set up to be knocked down. Yeah, I mean, they do take out a kid before they start taking out the town. A jerky kid. A kid that throws snakes on girls. Yeah, but it's still a kid. They won't show the kill or the body, though, because it is a kid. It's the one thing I remembered about this movie. I was trying to think of anything. I knew I had rented it. I knew that I kind of thought it was okay. But I was like, what do I remember about this movie? And I remembered him like, oh, it's a curfew. I'm not going to give up flying my kite. And then the next shot in my mind was that kite covered in blood. Is night kite flying a thing? Something I always did during the day. <laughs> it has never been a thing. It was dusk. It wasn't like dark. He just... Stayed out a little later. And yeah, he was a brat. I don't know if throwing a snake in a girl's face means you deserve death. But in this movie, hell, being a drunk walking on train tracks means you deserve death. Or maybe it's just everybody named Arnie. So here, yeah, that's enough for Brady to get it. And that's at the 30-minute mark. 30 minutes in, four deaths. Every 10 minutes starting at zero. And at this point is when I know who the werewolf is because we have a funeral and there's a priest up there like talking about the time of the beast always passes. I'm like, this dude knows a bit too much I'm talking about beast and that. So we know who the werewolf is, right? I thought that you would know from that, but I had read the story again, so there was no mystery for me. Uh, you're smarter than I am then, Jacob. When I rewatched this for the book, I couldn't remember. It was like watching it for the first time. I remembered Haim. I remembered his motorcycle. I remembered the wolf. I remembered loving Gary Busey. But I didn't remember a whole lot, hence why I picked it for the book. <laughs> and so watching it again, I'm looking at everybody trying to figure out who it is. And I didn't know until they showed me the man with the eye patch. I saw the dream sequence. I saw this preaching. Oh, come on. That dream sequence has to give it away if you don't know by then. I just, maybe I wasn't guessing enough. And I, it's Stephen King. Of course it's a man of the cloth, yes. right? <laughs> but I wasn't thinking that way. I hadn't started doing my King book reviews or this retrospective. And I just didn't guess it. I thought it might be the guy who wanted to start the posse or Maybe the sheriff himself, because he wasn't out with the posse. There's There are people who it could be, and I did not figure it out. Now, though, ever since that viewing, I've watched this movie two or three more times, and I'm never going to forget now that I realize I know this guy from Twin Peaks and he's the killer. <laughs> I mean, he is the hairiest person in this movie, too, even when he's not a wolf. But this posse that gets together, like, they decide they're going to do some street justice. Private justice. Yeah, private justice and catch <laughs> this psycho killer. I don't think they think it's a werewolf at this point. I think they think it's a crazy slasher dude, yet they go out to, like, the swamp to go hunting for a killer <laughs> that has not killed anyone in the swamp. Yeah, and this is when I realize what King intentionally or unintentionally is aping this whole time. This is Jaws. Like, even the kid's death and then all the foolish people that try to go out and catch the shark and all of that. These are just the beats of Jaws, except we're not following the sheriff. We're following, yeah, the, these bratty siblings that don't get along. You got Jaws. I got The Mist, Stephen King's own short story, when they're in the- It's this, under the fog! Yeah, and it's just sucking them under, and we get three deaths in a row, because we're gonna have a long stretch where there aren't any deaths anymore, so we gotta pop a few here. And the black guy dies first! There yes! isn't no black people in this town, <laughs> but they cut, and the first person grabbed and pulled under that fog is a black guy. I couldn't believe that. 
I was sad Owen the barkeep gets killed because again, Lawrence Tierney, I wanted him to stick around. But I do find it really funny how he goes. He just took his baseball bat to find this killer. He's sucked down. He's a tough motherfucker, so he's going to keep clubbing the wolf. And then all of a sudden it switches and the wolf is clubbing him. It's not using teeth. It's using weaponry. Yeah, that's why I'm wondering about tone. That I'm like, whose choice was that? Was that the director of Phantasm or was that this TV director? It feels a little too silly for what they were otherwise doing in this movie. Understand the director of Phantasm didn't film a frame of Wolf because they didn't okay. have a suit. I think Gary Busey might have suggested it because it's the one scene I laughed at <laughs> along with Gary Busey's scene. But like, this is the only non-Busey scene that I thought was funny in the movie. I think it's Stephen King himself because he's got that bat, the peacemaker, and the Wolf isn't just going to kill with it once. Later on, he's going to use these same psycho-like hand motions to kill somebody else. So it's like they really were dead set on this werewolf using baseball bats. I don't know why. Maybe they were just happy with the way the claw turned out and the rest of the suit they wanted to hide. That's that's the way I take it. Was Stephen King too ashamed to do a cameo in here? He always does a cameo, I feel like, and I thought he would be in this mob, but he's not. Yeah, he should be here. Stephen King did not always do cameos. He had done Creepshow by this point, and then he would do Maximum Overdrive the next year, but he was pretty camera shy until he decided he'd be his own movie's Stan Lee. But yeah, this is where we get what ends up being a dream sequence, which, again, tells me this is the priest because it's the priest's dream. There, there's a funeral for multiple deaths for these townies that got killed doing their private justice, and then everyone starts wolfing out except the priest, and I don't know. I I, I guess... I think a lot of this wolf makeup looks better than the actual werewolf. I don't I don't know why uh, when you have a mask shot, it looks better. But yeah, the priest wakes up from this dream. And that tells me for sure. Now I know for sure it's got to be the priest. Because why would he have that dream and no one else? It's not really important that they have a great mystery about who it is. I don't think they're trying to build it up too much. If you've guessed it, I don't think it's ruined anything. And the wolves that looked good, though... In your words, Jacob, they were Teen Wolf wolves. None of them had full masks on. They just had, like, beards. They really did look... Especially, I totally got a Teen Wolf vibe when the organ player is vamping and playing the organ and dancing all at once. I almost thought it was like a werewolf version of Cats when they started, like, writhing. It It was really strange there. But I just thought the priest was tormented. He's a man of the cloth. He has to preside over all these funerals six so far so he's tormented i should have gotten it i i I just i guess when i watched it three years ago was not being an active enough viewer i sure as hell wasn't being an active enough viewer to realize it suddenly somehow became september yeah i mean now we're gonna get this like long sequence read of gary Busey's character is building a full-on motorcycle for a paraplegic kid like that's probably how he ended up paraplegic because of his uncle well you know this is a couple years before gary Busey actually had a motorcycle accident and did sustain brain damage uh you know he's a big advocate for cycling and not wearing a helmet and letting the wind blow through your hair so it is it's sort of uncomfortable for me to watch him with glee putting a child in these dangerous vehicles and sending them off down the (laughs) highway And that silver bullet cycle is unstable as hell. Like, that thing's popping up on those back tires with just the slightest weight shift. 
What I find really amusing, though, is now this is a popular Harley design, the trike. I don't know why, but a lot of Harley people, especially the ones who have like the really expensive bikes that are all really nice, shiny fiberglass, have gone to this two back wheel, one front wheel design. So yeah, he's just cutting edge with his motorcycle there. And come on, if you're a kid, that's pretty badass. And it did have a stabilizing wheel in back, so he couldn't flip backwards okay yeah no it's cool for him i mean i i think we're happy for the character if we were in a movie like lucas or an after school special i i think i could be more you know enthusiastic for him but i'm like watching him zoom past other cars at 60 miles an hour on the highway yeah if i was eight years old this would be a cool scene like now i'm just worried about the kid's safety this is totally not street legal is what kept going through my head like if it could go 60 miles an hour he needs a driver's license yeah marty don't have no license for this thing yeah, I can't imagine trying to then, like, navigate this down the hallway. Imagine hitting the throttle <laughs> wrong, and suddenly you're running over, you're hit and run. I don't think this is an indoor bike, especially with the fumes it's spewing out. It's supposed to be his own, like, since he can't ride a bicycle like other people, this is how he can get around, but then he can only stay outdoors, you're right. But the other thing I want to give a mild compliment to is... The composer Jay Chataway. We kind of started the movie with a score that sounded like a ripoff of Carrie, but he gets rocking with some of the stuff while Marty's riding the silver bullet. Please tell me you're not complimenting the pop song Joyride that they're cramming in here. <laughs> I know it was the 80s and they always wanted something for the soundtrack, but no one is buying the LP of Silver Bullet. Sorry, we don't want it. I did. After oh, watching man, I was today, just about to check to see if they even came out with an LP for this. Is there a soundtrack Arnie wouldn't own from the '80s? That's what I need to know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this sounds on it. It is just the score, but I did not realize this was a pop song. So, oops. Jory Wright is on the oh, soundtrack. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad I bought it now. <laughs> I did not recall. The one thing, I knew that they changed the title, I thought, because the cycle of the werewolf was so strange. But I did not recall that this wheelchair, or whatever we're calling it, the uh, vehicle that Red builds for his nephew, is in fact called the Silver Bullet. He has no idea that there are werewolves around. It's just a happy coincidence that the kid is riding in a Silver Bullet when he is attacked by a werewolf. Red even denies that there's werewolves. Like, th- this kid is like, oh, I think I think the killer's a werewolf, and Gary Busey will have nothing to do with that. Like, yeah, but yet he calls this Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet was in the zeitgeist. Red is a drunk. And don't you guys remember Michelob Light? You think this is a beer reference? Oh, wow. May- he might be onto something. Yeah, gonna light up the <laughs> night. Michelob Light. You're right. You're right. I think Arnie's right. Was King still drinking at this point? Oh, yeah. Remember, cocaine and Listerine next year. This is Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, cocaine. So, yeah, definitely (laughs) drinking. (laughs) And, of course, it's just a fun double play on the words that is going to end with a silver bullet. But this is the silver bullet. And if if you're going to paint a bike silver that goes really fast it's a it's a logical name even if they don't think there's a wolf around in fact it's in really poor taste if you think a wolf killed your best friend now here's a bike that's named silver bullet but this is where the movie really really starts to drag for me we had the massacre at 40 minutes and then we get just a lot of marty drama we get him with the bike, we get Red has stopped drinking and tried to clean up. This is, I'm guessing, a 
Labor Day cookout in September, and it's not Fourth of July fireworks that were canceled, but like the county fair or whatever fair they have in fall, the whole fair was canceled. I thought the sign said October. And what's even weirder, there's like a newspaper later that shows September 1980. So I think they really had no idea about the time frame. Is it 1976? Has it been four years? I don't know. Yeah, because 1980 wasn't even the year they filmed it. So like that was a conscious decision to put 1980 on there. And this movie feels like there were many hands that were not connected to the same body manipulating the things around it. And I bring it back up. Making this a period piece is pointless. I didn't know until this watching that it was. If you remove that one title card, then it wouldn't have been that big of a problem. I think it explains the ugly brown clothing. That is the only reason why you make it 1976. (laughs) But that sign, it did say October 1st, but it was that something is like coming to the grounds October 1st. So... And see, I thought it would, they canceled the 4th of July, and then they jumped, jumped to September, and like, this is when Ray could finally get some fireworks, and we ain't waiting until the next 4th of July, we're going to have 4th of July in September now. Yeah, it says that the fair starts October 1st, but it was canceled before it started. I, I Maybe they were just driving past, but yeah, they, they make it clear that it's September, 4th of July and September, so I had to go back and erase my notes where I thought it was October. <laughs> Be that as it may. It really doesn't matter. The point is, is that Red is an enabler for bad behavior. Uh, Nan was right to keep him away from her child, but he... But I love, I love Gary Busey's Red in this. I mean, he's the uncle I would have wanted to have. Of course, as the kid. Yeah, because Nan is your mother. You'd want to rebel all the time. But I'm just saying you can understand why she wouldn't want her child in this rocket wheelchair with dangerous fireworks (laughs) off in the middle of the night alone on a bridge. Well, look. They shouldn't have built, I don't even know what they built on this house that lets Marty like get out at night. This kid's got incredible upper body strength, is able to pull himself up and down this lattice along the side of the house so he could sneak out and somehow start up that big ass motor without waking up his parents. Well, yeah, but I, it makes sense to get the hell out of earshot from your parents when you're going to light off firecrackers so they don't think there's gunfire. I got a real Legend of Sleepy Hollow vibe here with the long bridge and the werewolf coming down the bridge. And instead of throwing a pumpkin, he throws a firework. That was the other image I had. I remember the bloody kite and I remember the sparkler in the in the eye. And basically because it really underlines how unsatisfying this wolf <laughs> mask is. And I always thought werewolves had, you know, special healing powers, but... You're thinking of Wolverine. I'm thinking, well, no, I'm also thinking of like the Monster Squad where they blow up a werewolf with dynamite, but because it's not silver, his body pieces pull back together. But here, I guess if you poke out the wolf's eye, the man is blind. Well, they don't have the writer of Monster Squad on this. They have Stephen King. Yeah, all I remember (laughs) is that werewolf has nards. (laughs) Yeah, they did not have Shane Black writing this. But... It is a fun scene. I like this scene. Marty, he regresses. He's acted a little bit older than his years here. And then when he's just out there on the bridge, he's just so happy to see sparks. <laughs> he is just giddy. He is dangerously close to those fireworks, too. I Again, I am a concerned parent. He needs to back <laughs> up at least five feet from those things. Yeah. 
I felt really scared every time I watched this when he holds the bottle rocket in his hand. Yes, that is yeah. bad. <laughs> and yet I do, yes, I identify with Haim's enthusiasm about doing something illicit, sneaking out in the middle of the night, riding in this dangerous craft, firing off this firework. I get why he would want to do that. And, uh, you know, I, I think that if I were of his age, I would be much more into these moments. But it does feel like a strange push and pull and we even have a weird moment he runs back home and he calls red and red's in the in the bed with some strange woman big as some hookers yeah. <laughs> a one night stand anyway she may not be a professional lady but she is they emphasize how unstable and unparental he is at every given turn well come on a, a kid calls you up in the middle of the night to say he shot a werewolf in the eye I'd want to go back to sleep too. Hooker next to me or not? Oh, I wouldn't <laughs> run down to, to see that. No, I would not. I would be uh, maybe regretting my choice about enabling him to be able to leave his house <laughs> in that uh, silver bullet. I also found it kind of funny though that he like shoots that werewolf in the eye, and then we do get—is it the pop song again, or is it a hard rock score? As he's racing home, and I'm like. Is the wolf even chasing you? It isn't. We don't see the wolf again. He stays there clutching his eye as Marty cowers in the corner of his bedroom. I get it. You'd be afraid. But there's no danger there. I think the scene could have been more suspenseful if the wolf gave chase a little bit. I don't think the person can move in that suit. You know who that person is? It's Everett McGill wearing the suit. They hired like a professional dancer to do special movements as the wolf. And Dino comes in. I don't like him. And fired him. <laughs> or no, actually, I think he got indignant and quit if Dino was not appreciating his body work. And so they're like, Everett, can you just wear the suit, too? <laughs> I, I, I got to say, my, my favorite, I don't know if favorite's the right word, but the most intriguing camera work or direction comes next when Jane decides to help Marty. She's going to go around town to collect bottles. I, I guess the church is collecting bottles to recycle and get yeah. money or something. She's going to collect bottles so she can check out every person in the town's eyes. And the way this camera just like lingers on people's faces as they seem to have been given the direction to just widely stare right into the camera <laughs> lens. Like it is the most unsettling, scariest part of this film, watching people's <laughs> eyes just stare at you. It is. And it's suspenseful the way they tease. Like the person's opening the door. You just see the right eye. And then her husband's coming around the corner. You just see the right eye. It's like every eyeball. The weirdest part is when she goes and disturbs the man getting a shave. I'm like, that's just intrusive. Yes. But that's not just a man. I was surprised he was still alive. That's Andy. That's the guy that rallied the posse. <laughs> I thought he died in all of that. But I guess it was just everyone else he let out into the forest. <laughs> He probably did, and they just needed him for the shot. No, Andy did not die in that. I had a list of all the people who died. I just thought we didn't see him again. But yeah, that's that. This is also where Jane's narration takes over. I know it started with a couple of lines. They're easily forgettable. But from this point on, she's like a book on tape. I don't like the narration no, here. It's terrible. I couldn't believe just how much I was actively disliking this and it's a grown-up right it sounds like an adult woman yeah it's, it's a grown-up remembering when she was this girl sadly it's a actress i actually liked around the same time uh the same year as this she was marilyn in brewster's millions the interior decorator you're talking about the voiceover actress yeah oh, okay okay well i don't care who she so if you want to see her face go watch brewster's millions but <laughs> 
it's absolutely wrong to make her central to this. This, if it's anyone's story, it is Marty and Red's story, and that they're trying to suddenly make it about her, like contextualizing it, just feels wrong. What does she have to make her an interesting character? Seriously, she's a put-upon older sister, but what traits make us care about her? Yeah. I care as much about her as I did the drunk father of his girlfriend. I mean, she's nasty to him, too. She and Red. Red's an alcoholic. I would think, by the rules of this movie, both of them get eaten. Yeah, but, I mean, what we're supposed to be trying with is the fact that when no one else will believe this crazy cockamamie story about a werewolf, the sister that never will give him any credit, I don't think she necessarily believes him, but she wants to help him. So her compassion to put aside her, you know, usual disagreement and, and to go on this mission and, and to find the one-eyed townsperson that might be the werewolf, or at least prove that there are no one-eyed people in the town and, and lay this theory to rest, that is, that's the hook. Yeah, God forbid the one-eyed townsperson decides to stay in that day and not answer their door when an annoying teenage girl comes around for bottles. <laughs> Admittedly, you could have one eye and not be a werewolf, but hey, <laughs> fortunately, it all ends with her dropping it off at the church and we get that great Hitchcockian dolly shot of her passing by and we get... There's Reverend Lowe gardening, and he's he's turned away from the camera. And then, of course, through the dolly, we see the eye patch. Just as much as I'm curious about the greenhouse, I'm curious what kind of gardening Lowe is doing. He's basically, you said a psycho shot. He's basically acting like psycho, stabbing the ground with it. I'm like, that is not going to help grow anything. <laughs> <laughs> and you think if you lost an eye, stay indoors for a while. Your name is low. You should hang low. Like, <laughs> don't get exposure here. Yeah. I think in the book, the character ended up saying that he contracted something and had it surgically removed. That's a good excuse. Yeah, you just disappear for a week, go out of town, come back, and that's what you did. <laughs> you contracted something and they took out your eye? I, you know, I don't know. Something medically went wrong. God knows. But yeah, just in case you weren't sure if he was the werewolf, Jane finds the remnants of the Peacemaker baseball bat among the bottles. Because the werewolf wanted a souvenir? He was picking his teeth with it? He likes it as a weapon, yeah. I just feel like if the kids were going to get together, they should have done it earlier and it should be their movie. But it's strange that it's these siblings and then they're going to bring Red in as well. That feels like a third wheel. No, no, before they get Red involved, they try to blackmail the Reverend. Yeah. Like they, they cutting out letters from a magazine, like ransom style letters. I know what you did. <laughs> get out of town, kill yourself, whatever they say. Like, they do this not once, but multiple times. Again, this made more sense when it was spread out over a calendar year. I can't believe this made sense in any context. It did. Well, it was Marty alone, for one, and he was playing coy. He didn't know if the Reverend knew who he was, and the Reverend didn't. Unlike here, the Reverend does not know Marty put out his eye. The werewolf doesn't remember? Right. He has no memory of what happened as a wolf. Here, as soon as he pops up with that eye patch and he starts like getting all creeper with Jane in that garage filled with bottles, it's like he's out for them immediately. And something that the book would never do that this movie does 
is have him as a human try to kill Marty. There's something. You said you wanted this movie to do something no werewolf movie's ever done. I, well, right, I can think of somewhere they've done that, but it's rare. Usually they only kill in wolf form, but he's going to take his four-door sedan and try to push Marty off a bridge or try to just run him down. And this is where I need to know more about the Reverend. Like, the fact that, I guess, in the spring of 1976, I don't know, he got bit and became a werewolf. I don't know if the killing was going on before. Who knows? But I need some motivation. Like, what is so urgent that he kill Marty in human form? Like, I, f I feel like you could tell something interesting there about this character, but they don't. Yeah, I feel like we need a moment for him to reveal something. If, if not a motivation or a master plan about what he's doing, at least to... Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't have to be a threat. He could try to make a pact with Marty of just like cut me a deal or understand I'll just kill one more. I won't kill you, but stay silent. I, I just felt like there needed to be a bargaining phase here that he's just trying to kill him. I'd much rather be him killing him as a wolf. Yeah, I agree. I think the reason they do this is so Everett McGill can give that monologue yeah. about how he's an agent of God and the reason he can't kill himself. Even though he woke up in the middle of the night and said, please, God, let it end. I thought I might have been thinking around the midpoint of the snow kill area. He can't do it because it's suicide. We need to get some idea of what's in his head. And so we're going to have this unbelievable scene of him doing this when it would be more fulfilling to have this be a wolf attack, a second wolf attack on Marty. And that is kind of how the book goes, is eventually, when he starts getting these letters of kill yourself, he starts to sleuth to find out, okay, who put out the wolf's eye that night? Who did the wolf attack? Because I am going to go kill him, because otherwise I'm at risk. And in the book, it's also, he kind of likes being a wolf. He feels really good after a kill. He is like... Popeye eating spinach is him eating humans. and It felt like a commentary about, like, absolution. It was just like, I can be a terrible person at night and come back and go to God and I'm saved. And it was that easy. It felt like King Satire about uh, the dispensability of religion. It also ends really unsatisfactorily. He gets trapped in a bridge. The Reverend monologues and then... Mr. Zinneman, who we've never seen before, <laughs> happens to be driving a tractor. Oh, that's the terrible right. That is just a terrible king. Come on, man. You're not even trying. Yeah, you have to give the kid his own way of getting out of the situation. You can't have a magical plowman just come by in the nick of time. That's terrible. And why is that not Stephen King in a cameo? That one role where all he has to do is walk up like an idiot and say spooky in there. <laughs> but this is going to set up the climax where they're going to go and convince Red by showing the paint on the silver bullets. And he's going to go convince the sheriff. He does the logical thing and gets the police involved, which, of course, finally gives us another kill after so long without. It's been about... 40 minutes we finally get a satisfying transformation effect i've been very frustrated that every time the wolf comes out it's pretty much been just rubber suit all of a sudden but here we're gonna see the full transformation most movies like american werewolf in london they do the first reveal of our werewolf with the major transformation money 
And it's the best effect in this movie. The wolf is shitty, but this transformation is decent. If I hadn't just watched American Werewolf in London, I would say it was pretty impressive. But this is coming four years later. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Thriller and all of that. It just, it may be the best effect in this movie, but it pales to the standard by which the early 80s was setting for werewolves. Yeah, again, it wasn't the best ever, but it was... It was decent. There, it was pretty good by and large. And but now we finally get Sheriff Holler death by baseball bat. You know how many people are left in this town at this point? It's a small town. I would think they would be bringing in the feds <laughs> to investigate a serial killer that's killing every full moon. Like this would be a a big issue. That's what I'm saying. People would have moved away. Yeah. Like there's a serial killer that no one can catch. Move away. Some did. I mean, his girlfriend did with her mother. Because her dad was murdered. Yeah, exactly. After being a victim. And strangely enough, this is also the plot of Manhunter. The killer every full moon (laughs) hunts families down is uh, a movie that Dino was making at the same time. Yeah, but Manhunter didn't feature the Wizard of Weapons. (laughs) He did not. Gary (laughs) called it this townie who, like... There's a gun. I, I guess he just has a gun shop, and both Marty and Jane give up some silver necklaces to make that silver bullet. And I do love the line, though, ad lib or scripted. My nephew just discovered the Lone Ranger. <laughs> That's <laughs> good an excuse as uh, any. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But the Wizard of Weapons knows about werewolves. This isn't his first silver bullet. <laughs> it's the best weapon I ever designed. Okay. Yeah, and this like crucifix, these necklaces are like the most pure <laughs> silver he's ever dealt with. Like it's so ridiculous. No, I don't think they say that. They just say it was pure enough, and then <laughs> they, he melts them down. He's not just a gun salesman; he's also a smelter. <laughs> It's uh, over the top, to say the least. But I feel like, you know, you need to build to a climax. There d- doesn't seem to be a good one that's that's formulating here. So we at least sense that the movie is drawing to a close. It's The next full moon is at Halloween. They have a silver bullet now, a real one, not just a wheelchair. And uh, I think Red is sending the parents away on a fake you want a vacation trip. Publisher's Clearinghouse. Can it get more 80s? Did he buy them tickets to yeah. New York? Or is he like, yes. oh, no, there, there's tickets tickets in here and they're going to drive like six hours to the airport and find out they're fake and have to turn around like where did red get money just for this enough trip? time for me to kill the werewolf yes. before she comes back and chews my ass out yeah i think that it's a real thing and i do wonder what red does for a living that he can afford you know to build silver bullets and according to jacob a lot of whores yeah well i was gonna say maybe he picks their pockets afterwards maybe it's not his money he's spending i don't know but it, he's divorced three times. That alimony's got to be a bitch. <laughs> he seems like a fun guy at a bar, but probably a terrible person to rely on. But uh, he's trying to redeem <laughs> himself. He's trying to give up drinking. He's trying to be a better man. He's trying to help these kids that he's still not totally convinced are being attacked by a werewolf. But he wants to set that fear aside by guarding them up all night. And we get, yeah, the climactic attack, which I got to say, a pretty good jump scare here. Yeah, when the werewolf comes in, and funny enough, if you get a chance to watch that scene again and look at Gary Busey's face, it's priceless. That is amazing, that face he made. Like, I think he actually thought a werewolf was attacking. (laughs) 
he had no idea what was going to happen. They had enough money to He's do like, this I'm scene in a once. Movie? What is going on? Like <laughs> he is blown away. He's just doing his talk, and they had the werewolf jump through, and Busey was legitimately a little scared. He did not know what was going on. Yeah, the whole wall explodes. I don't know how they're going to explain it to the parents, but. Uh... <laughs> There's going to be a dead naked man in there. I think you just have to. <laughs> a dead naked priest. But also the wolf throws Red into a like, display case. That actually impaled Busey's arm. It Ew. cut his arm with some glass. Ooh, so. yuck. He gets thrown around a lot and all he's got is that one scratch on the arm. But I guess that was a real cut. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely getting uh, beaten up here in the scene. And I think that's because we don't want to see children being treated in that way. They're sort of cowering in a corner trying to get the bullet that rolled for some reason into an air vent. They get the kill shot. We got to give it to Marty. He is such a marksman. He makes two shots of this movie. They're both bullseyes or wolf eyes. Mm -hmm. They are completely... Just amazing shots. And I was confused for a second. Like maybe I mixed this up with my vampire lore. I thought the silver bullet had to hit the heart, like a wood stake has to go in the heart. But I guess a silver bullet anywhere grazes the uh, uh, the fingernail. It will kill a werewolf. Yeah, it gets confusing because also vampires don't like silver. And But yeah, a silver bullet anywhere takes out the wolf. And here we get a reverse transformation. Kind of cool, but... Not as cool as the first transformation, still maybe the second best special effect in the movie. But that's not the resolution we want, right? It's all about Marty and his sister and their freeze frame hug. I love you, Marty. Good night. <laughs> good night. <laughs> oh, good night is right. Larry, that's it. Perfect. Print. We got it. Really? That's your ending to the werewolf attack? <laughs> Here's the thing that really confused me about that. She's like... It ends with the voiceover. I wasn't always able to say that, but I can now. I love you too, Marty. Good night. Is he dead? Yeah, that's what I take it to mean. Yeah, it, there's. you need to jump forward into the future to understand what the significance of that is. Is It feels like, yeah, there is a part of the story they're implying in which she... Yeah, has lost her brother, and maybe that's the sequel, right? He he got bit somewhere, and he'll be the wolf. Does that mean he could walk now? Or is he going to be a wolf on a motorcycle? Because <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. Wow, the mind reels at the possibilities. I would like that movie. Silver Bullet 2, Road Rash Werewolf. <laughs> it couldn't be worse than Lawnmower Man 2. But... The whole voiceover thing, the fact that it's a period piece, maybe I'm just thinking too much about Stand By Me, where the narrator there, Richard Dreyfus, had a reason for telling us this whole story, a precipitating event that made him sit down to write this. But what the hell is this? What is going on? <laughs> is it only in 1976 because later on you decided to have voiceover and realized Follow is not a good enough actress to pull it off? So let's bring in an adult. Well, shit, how do we bring in an adult? Well, let's say this took place in 76. <laughs> I am just confused. <laughs> I think you're right. I actually, as even though you're just kind of making up things as you go along, I actually think <laughs> you're recreating the, the hell that it was. <laughs> to put this movie together that sounds plausible is that because if it was set in 1985 when this came out now your narrator is in like our day and it gets real confusing because that's like the future then yeah i think that's <laughs> i think i i think arnie's right i think that yes that's that was at some point this was taking place in 1980 so i don't <laughs> know 
to at least the newspaper printer, this was a story for the 80s. Do you know, you will not print new newspaper. I have this one. <laughs> yeah. I used it in this movie in 1980. It's good. I'm still trying to pay for Dune. <laughs> so, Jacob Stewart, will you give a silver arrow to Silver Bullet? Jacob. Only that silver arrow will kill this. You know, <laughs> I, I've had fun talking about it and laughing about it, and Gary Busey's entertaining, but I, I can't brown arrow this. It's not that entertaining. Like, there is a lot of boredom here. And what's most baffling to me is uh, the reason I asked was this based on a Stephen King book, or did he just do this as a screenplay? Because I don't get, like, what is being done with werewolves here. Like, an American werewolf in London is amazing because you have Nazi werewolf soldiers and, like, ghosts hanging out in porno theaters, and, like, they do crazy stuff there with the lore. Here seems like such a standard werewolf story. Why bother? There, There's other standard werewolf stories that are probably better than this. I'm, I'm sure they're out there, and this one stars kids, and I'm not eight years old anymore. And it, it's just, again, a lot of boring family stuff that doesn't build to anything. Yes, there are some laughs with Gary Busey, but overall, I did not have fun watching this. This is a not recommend. Stuart. You know, this is the 48th Stephen King movie that we're covering here and i Ooh. gotta believe that at this point most all of them that we've already covered and probably a lot that are still to come are all red arrows it will surprise no one to, to know that i'm giving this a red arrow as well i keep it in perspective though this is not nearly as bad as a lot of it i would put it in the top 20 it's probably around <laughs> Cujo and Firestarter, maybe a little bit worse than that. Yeah, no, I was going to say around Firestarter. Yeah, I agree it feels with that. about like on par with Firestarter of like, well, you know, if I was the demographic of these stars, if I was a small kid, and I was when I first saw this, I would think it was okay, you know, it's the equivalent of a Goosebumps, but as an adult... It's a very weak story. I mean, even on the page, it was pretty slight. I mean, what was novel about it was the passage of time, and they've screwed that all up here. So there is just nothing here that is good. I can honestly say that. I can't look at anything in this movie and say it's good, with the exception of maybe Busey having some fun. I don't even know if that's good, but he is having a good time, so that helps. But I don't have any hate in my heart for it either. This is not a, a strong condemnation. In terms of Stephen King, it's just a mild not recommend. Arnie, should this have been in the book? Underrated. Well, you said it's on par with Firestarter. I recommended Firestarter. You did? I gave it the only green arrow the entire Firestarter retrospective series of two movies got. Yeah. And I'll agree, this is probably on par with Firestarter. Now, again, I... Went back to this movie in probably 2013, it was, to watch for the book. Yeah, we worked on it that long. And I sat down excited. And Marjorie was with me. She was going to also review it for the book as one of the mini reviewers. And we both were just, like, excited. We remembered loving this movie. I bought it on Amazon, put it in the player. I even went and got it signed by Gary Busey. So I was, like, really revved up for this. Did he remember being in the film? He Not only did he do that, he grabbed Marjorie's ass. Oh, he does that. He has that reputation around town. Well, yeah, that sounds like normal Busey behavior, yeah. Yeah, they posed for a photo and he felt her up. Yeah. So we were excited, and I put this in, and initially I was like, okay, slasher, yeah. Corey Haim, yeah. 
this sister's pretty bad and this voiceover is pretty bad but these aren't movies we recommend because they're our favorites they're underrated movies that we recommend not every movie in that book is a five star strong recommend some are just solid recommends but we had a very limited list of like 28 movies a piece we could pick and so the more i watched and especially once the werewolf grabs a baseball bat and starts going to town on townies and then we have 30 minutes with no kills it starts hitting me if i can only recommend 28 movies is this really going to be one of them can i stand by this as something i'm going to put into print as one of the best underrated movies of all time you made room for the wraith <laughs> this ain't that bad <laughs> I, well, obviously i like the wraith but i couldn't stand behind this movie enough to put in the book but i do like hames performance and i really like his chemistry with red i wish Busey was in this movie more he disappears for long stretches comes in livens up the movie leaves again he really is the best part of this movie i wish that everett mcgill gave a better performance as the reverend i honestly i can't say that i've ever seen him give a great performance what? i know we reviewed twin peaks starting last friday and we're doing it every day for a long time but i can't say i love everett mcgill's big ed and god forbid we ever discuss the people under the stairs but there's just some really piss poor acting here there's a couple high spots in the end i'm gonna eke this into weak recommend territory oh come on i do think there's some fun to be had here with those early kills and gary Busey's performance is worth seeing you think any of them are good like you would use the word good yes i really enjoyed it when he starts clawing at that pregnant woman's back and just like keeps mauling it it's like a cat tearing up your curtains okay I thought Arnie's death was fun it, with the decapitation and the head flying across the screen. They took a couple of risks with Brady. I just wish his father, Herb, was, again, a better actor. And I didn't think every time he was on screen screaming about his son was parody of a grieving father. But you're giving it a pass. What I'm hearing is this is really not a very good movie. But it's not a really bad movie, so I'll be nice. Can I label it as mostly fun junk? Okay. As long as you uh, emphasize junk. This is dumb. Yes, very but dumb. It's harmless. I'll give you that. That's why, again, my not recommend is a mild one. I have no hate in my heart for this. I do not want to kill it. It is a shruggable, forgettable experience. If Busey hadn't brought what Busey brings to his pre-brain damage movies then this would be a not recommend. He's enough to eke it over the line into, if you want a silly slasher, this is one that you could pass the time with. I have watched this movie several more times since that fateful for the book watching, but now I know what I'm getting into, and it's it's a Halloween staple. I rewatch it about once a year. What? This? Yeah. So if I rewatch it every year, I'm going to put it on that recommend list. And that does it for King for a while. I think we are going to pick it up when we get to the Dark Tower at the end of July. But in the meantime, we do have more Wolfmen. Or Wolverine Men. Yes. Logan, out in theaters this Friday. I am so excited. The trailer gave me the feels and whew, could this be the best X-Men movie ever? 
could a Wolverine movie actually be one we can solidly get behind? <laughs> that is the bigger question, yeah. It, will it be? I, I think we all kind of gave that second one a pass, and Arnie somehow gave the first one a pass, but yeah, can this redeem? It, it's weird that Hugh Jackman has not done well solo with these Wolverine films. This could be the one. I'm waiting for something horrible to happen, like the last movie, which should have been great, and then they inserted Viper and a freaking Ed 209 at the end. I'm like, if they can keep this as sparse as the trailers look, it could be great. Well, you know, it's like the Fast and Furious 7 effect. The, the fact that this is going to be the last one is going to give it something that none of the other ones are going to have anyway. I predict that they're going to go for melodrama, that they're going to go for tears at the end. He may die, right? Like, in, in order for this to be the end, we may actually watch this invincible character finally perish. And that, if they play it right, that should make us all feel something. I have some theories, and I think I, I may feel sad. I mean, we have lived with these characters for 17 full years. So, that will be next week. Also, again, if you want to hear us talk more about Everett McGill, and I know you do... Head to NowPeakingPodcast.com. We're releasing a show every single day. Yeah, we're five episodes in. We're still in the first season, but uh, yeah, the mystery is deep. The good times. Yeah. <laughs> we'll soon be uh, seeing who shot Cooper. And then we are getting back to Lynch the week after Logan with Wild at Heart and some movie Stewart put on the schedule called Perdita Durango. It's sort of a sequel. Made without Lynch involvement. And keeping on with Lynch until April, and of course, the fate of the Furious. You mentioned Furious 7. We're going to be getting to Furious 8 before we know it. Yeah, I hope not too fast. <laughs> so until next week, this is too much. You guys are going to bed. I'm very sorry about this, Marty. I don't know if you believe that or not, but it's true. I would never willingly hurt a child. You see how all things serve the will and the mind of God. You see, you meddling little shit! Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. That was wicked. Now that you've heard the movie review, head to booksandnachos.com to hear Arnie's reviews and analysis of Stephen King's original short stories and novels. Nicest piece of work i ever done, I think. And come back to nowplayingpodcast.com to hear our reviews of other Stephen King movies, such as Carrie, The Shining, Children of the Corn, Cujo, and dozens more in our archive section. Don't be telling me what to do. You've been telling me what to do all my life. Also on our site, hear reviews of other films such as Maniac, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Saw, Riddick, Friday the 13th, The Avengers films, Star Trek, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com and come back each week for another new movie review. Psychotics are more active when the moon is full. Also at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book, you can order Now Playing's film review collection, Underrated Movies We Recommend. This book has 125 reviews about films you probably haven't seen, but you should. That's good. I want you to have a good time. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. This is that community spirit you've been talking about. Great, ain't it? 
Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. And this is how it looked that spring. A town where people cared about each other as much as they cared about themselves. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I am scared to death that someday he is just going to give up. He's not going to give up. Well, he doesn't need you showing him how to do it. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Well, I am the one who is responsible for how he feels when he sees you like this, and how he feels when you leave. Now Playing is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I built that for you because I love you. Right from my heart. Now Playing is edited by David and Arnie. Oh, that's it. Oh, that hurts my parts. Now playing credit narration by Brock. I wish I had a tape recorder so you could hear what you sound like. The film discussed in this podcast is the property of its respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Maybe that wasn't such a good idea telling that Smokey Bear from the detective division to fuck off. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. You want to know what I think? No. I just called you Edward and admire your pretty little face. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Let it end, dear God, let it end. But our main characters are the Coslaw fam. But the main. But our main characters are the Coslaw family. Coleslaw? Can't get a side <laughs> of hush puppies. <laughs> how do you pronounce it, Coslaw? I have no idea. I mean, I'm just mocking you, but I have no idea how to say it correctly. <laughs> but our main characters are the Coslaw family, specifically eleven-year-old wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's funny, but I'm agreeing with you. I, I don't. I thought he was laughing about the paraplegic kid. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Let's be offensive. <laughs> but our main characters are the Kozlov family, specifically 11-year-old wheelchair-bound Marty, played by Corey. <laughs> I put Feldman. <laughs> I'm never getting through this. No, he was busy making a Friday the 13th 5 cameo. <laughs> you do the POV, you just see a claw or Italian, an Italian. You just see a claw or Italian <laughs> slash the air. <laughs> you might see an Italian slash the air. It is a Dino production. <laughs> You'll make it bigger. Grrr, you're a willow. <laughs> Uh-oh. I should just stop making jokes. It's yeah, too late. It's too late. He's yeah, lost it. On this. <laughs> How many moons are we going to have to go through before this show's over? Yeah. <sighs> okay, you can say that again. <laughs> put, put away the nitrous oxide. <laughs> go on method tonight. On the other hand, I kind of see where they're going. First of all, how many times have we said it? When you're underage, you still get into rated R movies. You can get there if you want to. And second of all, 
Especially in the 80s. Yeah, you know, actually, I I had a pretty hard time in the very early 80s. Our freaking that theater. Oh, my lady. Jesus She's Christ. It was like it was her personal job. Like, she was an MPA mm-hmm. rep sitting yeah. in that booth. She's, yeah. Eh, you should have just grown up in California and they don't give a shit. <laughs> when I moved to Florida, life changed. But here in Springfield, that sucked. <laughs> I felt really scared every time I watched this when he holds the bottle rocket in his hand. Yes. Yeah. That is I have bad. never messed with fireworks after I saw my dad light a Roman candle in <laughs> then tried to stick it in the ground, like the hard ground. He didn't even like prep it. No, you stick it in the ground first. <laughs> you gotta put it in the ground first, kid. Please. Does he still have all ten fingers? <laughs> he does. He does. My dad is actually missing uh, part of a finger because of a cherry bomb accident. Mm-mm. So yeah, no, it was an amazing, amazing miscalculation. And Stewart and I had a friend as a kid who was firing bottle rockets on the roof of his house and burned down the entire house. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, my cousin and I burned down a field with a bottle rocket that misfired. So this is your firework safety lesson from now playing. The more you know, this is why they're illegal in a lot of places now. <laughs> God forbid we ever discuss the people under the stairs. What about his Stilgar so, in Doom? Not great. <laughs> I agree. So, uh, I wish... He doesn't even remember him in it, I bet. <laughs> no, it took me a second, though. I do remember. He was uh, the... Uh, what do they call the Fremen? Fremen? What? <laughs> I, I, think, said, what I think he answered Fremen? his own question before while he was oh, asking. Okay. Yes. <laughs> what do they call the Fremen? Um... <laughs> <laughs> that's my closing line notes 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 good night i love you too listeners good night (laughs) night. now that's actually the that's gonna be the quote i use uh some zamphia flute behind you (laughs) (laughs) so that was so repugnant to me that that was the end of the movie i'm just like i know i couldn't believe that this is not little house in the prairie what the hell But the voiceover makes it seem like it. (laughs) Good night, John boy. Yep. All right. So until next week, this is too much. You guys are going to bed. All right. I'm going to bed. Yeah, that was a longer show than I would have guessed.